When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider, a very special episode as we welcome in the Great Dane, one of the all-time great kickers and a pro football Hall of Famer, Morton Anderson. What is up, Morton? How are you? Following NFL football, a lot of things going on, and uh, the Vikings, big win, ugly win, but nevertheless a good win, right? You're right about that. Mike Zimmer would certainly take it. So I want to start off, and there's so many things I want to ask you, including playing for the Vikings, uh, kickers, kicker mentality, all that. But I have to ask you about your podcast and what it's been like for you getting into podcasting. You're doing a lot of really cool interviews. Your podcast is Great Day Nation, which I've just started listening to. Um, So tell me about being a podcaster, man. It's it's interesting. It's it's been eye opening for me because I'm usually the one answering the questions, and now I'm forced to kind of figure out, you know, what would I want to? If I was the interviewee, what would I want to answer? What questions would I want to hear? Do I want the layups? Do I want the easy ones? Or can we dig a little deeper? And I think what I've kind of found out is that because I know all these guys, you know, either played with them, against them, or they're Hall of Fame brothers, or, you know, when you play for 25 years, you you pretty much have have seen it, you know, uh, everybody. <laughs> so I've, I found that they tend, the, the guys tend to open up and, uh, and give me some really good morsels uh, about their lives. You know, one of the things that all these guys, these high-performance guys have in common is that they all struggled at some point. There was always a um, some difficult a difficult road, some bumps in the road, and unexpected turns. But but they they persevered because number one they were extremely talented, and then they had an opportunity to do it. Right, I think that's the, the big one. They somebody helped them along the way to get an opportunity to be seen or to mentor, be taught, and then they excelled at it. They got the confidence and excelled and they never looked back. So for me, that's really the fun part is to listen to these story, the aha moment. When when did it come for Warren Moon or when did it come for Tony Dungy that we are releasing tomorrow? And what is it that makes these guys tick? You know, what what is it that makes them go and and what what is it that's so uncompromising in their life? In other words, what is non-negotiable to the to to them that maybe normal human beings, if you will, you know, are, are not willing to do? There, there's just something about the high performance person that strikes me as being very uncompromising and stubborn and wanting willing to go a place that's very distasteful in order to go to the greatest heights. I think, and that's been very interesting for me uh, interviewing. 
Yeah. You know, I think that that's what makes sports so fascinating, right? Is that um, sometimes even athletes don't realize the percentile that they exist in of all people that ever try to kick a football, for example, and what it takes to be uh, one of two Hall of Fame kickers ever or or whatever it might be, a Super Bowl winning coach or a Hall of Fame quarterback um, that uh, you know, I, I think that sometimes they don't, while they're in it, they don't recognize sort of how special that is, uh, that you have to be. So is there something that you think is, um, kind of pervasive through everyone, um, that you talk to? I mean, I know you said that they go through bumps, but how, like how they overcome those, uh, is there something that you've sort of taken away? Uh, Yeah, I think the one common denominator for all these guys is that they invite failure in, they welcome failure. They, they yearn for it. They need it. And, uh, and they need it exactly because you improve much more when you fail than when the hands are above your head. And for me, that's, that's the interesting telling element of, of these guys is that without, without exception, they were all willing to fail miserably to become legendary. And uh, if you look at, you look at the corporate world, entertainment world, science, um, any, anybody who's a trailblazer, anybody who's a trendsetter usually fails miserably or big, big time before they, you know, succeed. And, um, and that's, you know, that's, that's the beautiful lesson there, I think, is to, to s- celebrate uh, the imperfection of humans, yet you know, and celebrate the perseverance, I would say, in spite of it all, you know, I think uh, for myself being unemployed 20 months in a public park in 2005, uh, after leaving the Vikings in 2004, and I had a good year with the Vikings, but I was thinking, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to get a call right away. I'm going to be playing my 24th year in 2005. And the phone didn't ring for 20 months. That was disheartening. That was difficult. That was distasteful. That was, that was the world of suck. And people are saying, Morton, you had a good run. Maybe it's time to hang up the cleats. But I was 77 points away from becoming the all-time leading scorer in the history of the game. And that was important to me. So what are you, what are you willing to do? And what are you willing to sacrifice to get there and become legendary, right? And it was literally you know, 20 months in a public park. And when the little leaguers came, I would have to defer the field. I would have my little outfit on. I would have the Kenny Stables shoulder pads. I would have my Vikings jersey on, my Giants helmet on, and and my Pro Bowl socks. And, and I would go out there in this getup and, and kick footballs. And nobody was watching and nobody cared. And I would, I would, I would bribe the grounds crew to, to cut the grass for me, you know, and take them to lunch and and then 2005 turned to 2006, and when the opportunity came, I sat in my basement and watched the guy for the Falcons miss four field goals. I said, you know, I turned to my, my, my neighbor, Eric, and said, I'm switching to water now because the phone's going to ring. He says, it hasn't rang in 20 months. I said, I know, but it's going to ring, and 20 minutes later after the game, the phone rang, and the next day I was, you know, in a tryout with uh, four flat bellies half my age who wanted the job too. Now I'm 46 years old and these guys are 23 years old, but um, I had a really good tryout. I hit that orange stripe in the net that signals the middle. I hit it for 14 times out of 15 and 
kind of turned around and said, questions anyone? And um, <laughs> my special teams coach said, um, yeah, I got one, black or blue ink. So it became black ink. I signed my one-year deal. And three months later in, in the Georgia Dome, I became the all-time leading scorer. And they stopped the game and handed my jersey to my eight-year-old son. And family was there. And so you, you think at that point, was it worth it? Was it worth it, worth it to go through that world of suck for 20 months? And you, you emphatically answer that by saying, of course it was. But you because kicked, now you kicked you, great. Because now you're legendary, right? Right. But you kicked yeah. great for the Falcons. 87% one year, 89% the next year. Uh, yeah. I, so why did you want to keep playing? Was it just to, to go for that record or just because you believed Two. you were still one of the best kickers in the league? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, finish, one, one f- to finish on my terms, a lot of guys don't get to do that. A lot of guys are being told that's that's enough. We've had enough of you. We're going to go with a younger, newer, cheaper model. Let's face it, that happens to the majority of guys. Mm-hmm. So so that feeling of being able to, to go out on my terms was really, really uh, paramount for me. And then to, to put myself in the history books of be, being the all-time leader in points in the history of the game in a, in a game I didn't grow up watching or playing. You know, I came from Europe. I was a soccer player. That was kind of cool. That was like, hey, you know, the American dream. So that was important. And, uh, and then to prove to myself that I could hang with guys half my age and beat them and, be, and excel at it and be great at a late age. You know, I was... When I was 47 years old, my very last game in the NFL, I kicked four field goals against the Seattle Seahawks, and I was named NFC Special Teams Player of the Week at 47, the oldest to ever be that. And uh, so that's kind of cool. It is. Yeah. I mean, that's a heck of a way to go out. And I was going to ask you about because Minnesota and kicking woes are connected now, not in 2004. It went fine in 2004, but uh, other times not so much. And I guess I I wonder about um, when you talk about overcoming failure and there were years in your career that you had dips. And I'm sure that along the way, there were kicks that you could have won games that you didn't. Um, But it, it seems like there are some kickers and we just saw this in Minnesota where Greg Joseph overcame earlier this year, missing a kick, missing yeah. a kick in that game to hit a 54 yard game winner. Uh, yeah. What What is it? What's the mentality that separates the kickers who can get over that and the ones who can't, because we've seen many times guys miss a key kick and that's it for them. You don't see them again. Yeah. It's a long, steady grind. It's a marathon. I tell my guys, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And, and you got to be able to, to persevere over a long period of time. They don't hand out the prizes in September or your rookie year. That's way down the line, hopefully, for you. And let's let's look at a career of 15, 20 years. In my case, 25 years, un, very unusual. But let's at, at least get 10 years and, and look at that body of work and what are we doing year in and year out? Are you able to be consistent? Are you able to not have three, four, five misses in a row? Are you able to go to a happy place, go to your base and be able to kick at a high level despite – having a distasteful situation maybe uh, earlier in the game. If you miss early, are you able to come back and make it late in the game and all those things that it takes to be great at this position. It's a very polar, polarizing position. It's one of the most difficult and one of the most important on the football team next to the quarterback. Quarterback handles the ball every snap. I totally get it. 
but the kicker influences and affects the game probably more than any other position besides the quarterback. It's crazy when you look at the end of the year, who's got the most points. And I believe you own the New Orleans Saints uh, most points record, right? I mean, so. I think uh, so. I yeah. can't, don't remember anymore. Your Wikipedia has got a lot of records there, Morton. So yeah. <laughs> and I think that's one of them. We'll um, go with it. Well, yeah. So because, uh, you know, Blair Walsh, for example, missed the field goal in the playoffs. And then the next year, it just seemed to carry over. And I think for people who've never done it, like myself, um, it's sort of a mystery. It's like, well, why don't you just kind of put it in the past? But obviously, uh, it's much more complicated than that. Yeah. And I also think that there's a tendency on the, the part of the coaches and management to pull the trigger really fast on that position. So if if the guy's having a bad game. Well, we can just go get another guy. Well, you can't just go get another guy. And you got to realize it's a luxury when you find somebody who's good and consistent. You want to you want to nurture that guy, you want to pay him well. You want to stick with him and and make him understand that he's your guy. Mm-hmm. Then I'm not bailing on you if you have a bad game. I mean, you're not going to bail on a wide receiver cuz he drops four or five balls in the game, are you? I don't think so. So the same with, with, with kickers, right? I think you just need to sometimes have a little bit of patience, especially with a young guy, and develop him, especially if you see that potential. This, listen, this, this, there's 200 guys that can kick the ball really far, really far, uh, and, and really well. But when the lights come on at 1 o'clock Sunday afternoon, you get about 80% that drops right off. And I'm not a factor anymore because of right here between between the years. And then you have a you know 20 percent who 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 will some will be journeymen and bounce around, you know, and 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 not be able to because of what I just said the the impatience of the coaching staff, the management, also their inability to to put games together productively. And then you have elite guys, a handful of guys where you say these guys can be legendary that Justin Tucker's and the Harrison Butker's and, you know, those type of guys where you say, wow, they're difference makers for their football team. They're a weapon. They, they could make it to the pro football hall of fame one day. If they keep this going, they could be considered maybe the best that that ever was, but they're far and few between. They're far and few between. And mm-hmm. so we, you know, it was the same when we played and we didn't have the luxury of K balls. We didn't have the luxury of a designated long snapper and being with a punter the whole time. And he was my holder. There was a lot of musical chairs in that, in that environment back then. And uh, so that has changed to the benefit of the guys. Now they're, they're better because they have better opportunity to be better in my opinion. Although uh, you kicked one from 60 yourself, so you weren't that far away from a Justin Tucker 66-yard kick. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you to describe to me, because um, who better to ask, what it's like to trot onto the field for a 54-yard game-winning field goal. I mean, just like what goes through your mind? What is it like lining it up? What is that feeling? You've yeah. got a packed house. You know, I mean, just take me through that. Well, nothing different than a 49-yarder with five yards to spare because that's what a 54-yarder is. Um, so, you 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 know, you have a same kick mentality. I think that's really important. You realize that not one kick, good or bad, defines your ability as a kicker, and it doesn't validate you whether it comes in the first quarter or in the fourth quarter or in overtime. So I think that's important. 
I think you need to realize as a, uh, as a performer, two things you control and two things only, attitude and effort. Everything else is white noise. Where we get in trouble in, 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 in this business is when we start paying attention to things we don't control. We take the focus away from, from our positive behavior and what we control and making that dominant. So kicking is very simple to make your positive behavior that you control dominant. Mm-hmm. And everything else is white noise and you shouldn't pay any attention to it. You got to keep it simple. Having said all that, when you go out on a field for a game winner, you need to just be. And what I mean by that is when a young guy plays, he tends to force himself on the game a lot. There's a certain level of impatience where he go, oh, I wish I wish I get a kick in early in the first quarter, then I'll be off to a good start, and then I will have a good game. But what he needs to realize is he doesn't control it. Mm-hmm. The game has no memory. The game doesn't care. The game will play itself, and what you need to do as a performer is plug yourself into the game when the opportunity comes, and then you need to trust, and then you need to release, and you need to be free and pull the trigger uh, fearlessly. Easier said than done, but that can be trained mentally. Uh, that can be trained with a clear mind. And I think a lot of times when guys don't get it done in these uh, perceived pressure situations, and I don't like the word pressure because pressure happens only when your skill set doesn't match the task at hand. Think about that, right? If it's in your wheelhouse, then you should have clarity of mind and you should be able to freely with good breathing and a relaxed, uh, you know, relaxed technique, go through the ball down the target line. But when you can't do that, it's because your mind's cluttered and you're scared. You're scared of failing. Mm -hmm. You're thinking about failing instead of just focusing on two things, effort and attitude and pulling the trigger and owning, owning your workbench, understanding the moment of truth, which for a kicker, a moment of truth, when the plant foot hits the ground, that's the moment of truth. Why? You're either right or wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Once that plant foot hits the ground, it's like a quarterback on a seven-step drop. When that last foot hits the ground and he gets ready to throw, he's either right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Moment of truth. So there's moments of truths and workbenches in everything and every position that we, uh, that we play. It just happens to be that the kicking position is so visible and so vulnerable and so out there because feedback's immediate. Right. You know, right. It's immediate. Yeah. Right. And if the quarterback overthrows his receiver, people probably won't remember one of 40 passes, right? But that, And that if a kick. receiver, you know, listen, standards now for kickers and we're we're kicking at around 50 I mean, 80% plus now, that's average. The good guys are 90% plus. I I would venture to say that if a receiver caught eight out of 10 balls, he would be all pro every every year. And that's just average when you take kickers. Mm -hmm. So the comparisons, you know, it's difficult for me to understand when people criticize a guy that misses like a 49-yard field goal. Well, where's the critique when that 15-yard out was dropped when it hit you right in the chest plate and you could have had a first down and continued to drive or maybe scored 
run a fade route. Oh, off the fingertips. Why wasn't that ball caught? And why does that have less credence than a kicker missing a field goal? Therein lies my conundrum. Folks, football season is in full swing, but we've got basketball and hockey getting rolling as well. And Soda Stick has got you covered. You have to see the Moose t-shirt designs for Marcus Foligno. You can also get your hands on the very popular Dollar Bill Kirill shirts as well. On the basketball side, the design with three wolves howling at the moon, perfect for the spooky fall season. And the design with the wolf carved into the state of the Minnesota is just awesome. It's very cool stuff. And hey, for you college football fans, Check out the Tanner Morgan t-shirts as well. Soda Stick has tons of hats and hoodies with all their great designs on them. You will love it. Go to SodaStick.com. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K. Check that out today. Use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. And also follow myself and Soda Stick on Twitter for our giveaways. <laughs> the, the brutal nature of the game. Morton, but uh, you overcame that for many years. I was going to say, I'm up in the press box drinking Diet Pepsi and my heart's racing in those moments. So sure. I just can't imagine how different, I mean, how different you are than me <laughs> to be able to come. Well, you down. need to switch to a beer and relax a little bit. <laughs> Back in the day, they might have had that in the press box. Uh, today, right. it's only it's only the, uh, the Diet Pepsi. I wanted to ask you about, um, you talk about receivers and um, being all pro. Oh, four, you got a chance to play with, uh, Dante Culpepper, Randy Moss, one of the great offenses that's ever existed in the NFL. And I just wonder what you, I mean, what you sort of observed there is somebody who had uh, in 98, which we don't have to talk about, uh, had uh, beaten the Vikings and seen Randy Moss, you know, from playing the Vikings against them. And then you get a chance to play with those guys uh, up close. I wonder what that was like for you. Well, they were both great players, but it was funny to me. There were rules for us, and then there were rules for Dante and Randy. <laughs> yeah. The Randy yeah. rules. Um, Randy ratio, yep. So that, that you know, I thought that was funny. I mean, a little bit uh, a little bit disrespectful to the rest of the team, but never never mind that. It's um, They were great players and, and were an important, um, obviously very important components of our offense, and we did go – deep in the playoffs. I mean, we, we lost to Philadelphia in the divisional playoff that year in Philly, and we probably could have won that game had it not been for a couple of plays here and there. That's always the case. Uh, but uh, we had 12 men on the field on a fake field goal. Uh, rookie offensive lineman didn't get off the field. Randy split out left, and we were going to throw it to him. Nobody covered him, but we had 12 men on the field. So we backed up. We it's happened a couple goal. of times to the Vikings, actually. So instead of getting seven, we got three, and that was really a difference in the game. Yeah, that's uh, that's not the only 12 men on the field <laughs> that, that hurt the Vikings in 09 as well. I mean, when you think about the number of just t- different teams that you played with, is there something that when you played with great teams, I mean, the Atlanta team, of course, was uh, incredible in 1998 and uh, a missed kick ends up sending you to the Super Bowl, but nonetheless, an incredible team um, is the teams that stick out to your mind now. Um, I guess what made them special uh, teams I played for. Yeah. Teams, teams that were, were great. Well, I would say the 98. Sure. Yeah. I would say the 98, uh, the 98 team was just full of great personalities, guys that were willing to go to bat for each other, guys that were willing to handle everything internally. So if there was a problem, it would be handled very, very strong type A personalities who were ballers, who were great and who didn't put up with crap and 
didn't put up with people being lazy or late or any of that stuff. Coaches didn't need to do anything. The players handled it. So that, that was a great football team. We, we could have won it all. We ran into Denver in, in, in Elway's last year there, and we got bogged down in the red zone uh, in the Super Bowl. Instead of touchdowns, we kicked field goals, and I missed a field goal. And, you know, they made a couple of big pass plays on us. But overall, we were a really good football team. We, listen, we were, we were 13. Let's see, we were 14-2 and two and had to be go on the road against the Vikings – uh, and we were road dogs coming to the Metrodome. Vikings had that offensive juggernaut um, yeah, with Cunningham and, and the gang up there with Chris Carter. And I think it was um, – might have been Randy Moss's rookie year, actually. It was, yep. Um, yep. And they had a defense with Randall and all the guys. So we were – you know, we were fortunate to, to hang with them all that, that whole game. And, and, and win it in overtime. Um, but we had a special team, and we, we, we felt that we, we were not intimidated by the Vikings. Everybody thought the Vikings would win, but uh, we weren't intimidated. So that was a really good football team. We had some teams in the 80s with the Saints, with the Dome Patrol, Dome with Patrol, Sam yeah. Mills, Ricky Jackson, Vaughn Johnson, um, and Pat Swilling. Unbelievable teams, ball control. Jim Moore, senior, was the head coach, and Jim Fink's GM. Uh, really good football teams where we made the playoffs several years in a row, but we got beat in the first round, I think, one of the years, actually, against the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just weren't able to, to punch the ticket to the big game down there. We should have on several occasions. We were good enough, but we didn't. And then, the, you know, the Chiefs were really good in 02 and 03 when I was there. We had an offensive, uh, just a slew of offensive weapons with Priest Holmes and Trent Green at the quarterback, Tony Gonzalez and Kennison, and just really good players. Uh, Will Shields and Willie Rofe on the line. Uh, great running game. And we were good. We scored uh, points, but again, we got beat, got beat by the Colts and Peyton Manning in the playoffs. We had home field advantage. We had a bye, but we still got beat. And uh, so there's a lot of frustration there. doesn't take away from us being a really good football team. So I've been on great football teams. I've been on some very average ones and I've been on some really bad ones. <laughs> and I would say the biggest difference really is the, the quality of the players and the quality of the direction that is given uh, by the co- by the head coach and and uh, that type of personality, you know, Dan Reeves was an ex player. He was very good. Dick Vermeil was very good with the players uh, and handling and administering that. And then there were some that were not as good. And I, I, I'm not going to mention them, but they, they were just people that were less less excellent than others. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's so yeah. it's so interesting when you have a career like that and you you start off in in the '80s and all the way to the basically where the game becomes what it is today. Yeah, um, that that gives you a perspective that very few other humans in in the history of football have had. I have two more questions. One of them is kind of funny, but I've always wondered it. And then the other one. Um, Before so, you do, let me yeah, lend some yeah. perspective to to what you just said. Yeah, I'm I'm one of few players that ever played for the three commissioners. Roselle, Tagliabue, and Godel. I played in the 80s, the 90s, and the new millennium, so three decades. And I went through two strikes, two-player strike, 1982 for pension benefits. The reason that we have an okay pension now is we went on strike in 82, and the reason Mm. that there's player movement, salary cap, and free agency 
1987 and Reggie Wyatt and us going on strike in 87. So just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah. I mean, you got to see really the evolution of the game, not only from a perspective of football on the field, but also what it is as a business when you started playing. I mean, it was, yeah, uh, I was even thinking about myself. Like they used to black out games (laughs) just now last night I'm watching the game on my computer here and just how much that's changed. Uh, There's so many teams that you were on that I would love to talk about. I mean, the 95 Falcons with June Jones and Eric Metcalf and Jeff George. I mean, you just got to see up close so many cool ones, <laughs> yeah. but, but I wanted to ask about your face mask because kickers and face masks, what a bizarre relationship. I mean, you have, <laughs> yeah. you have, you have the Matt bar that was just no kind of face mask and he used to yeah. tackle people. Uh, and then, you know, now guys are kind of a little more normal. Uh, I grew up in Buffalo, Steve Christie, one of the great all-time kickers. He had to kind of went down and it was like over here, but you had one of the most memorable face masks. That's right. Just that it was like someone shrunk a regular face mask. Explain that face mask to me more. Well, it gave me a lot of vision. I wanted, you know, I I never liked that. I don't, I, I didn't want to get that, that nose bar in there because I wanted to make sure I could see clearly, you know, if a fist came in there, so be it. You know, that's <laughs> that's collateral that's collateral damage. So the the two was just really to protect the teeth a little bit, the mouth, cheekbone. Um, and I would take that face mask with me everywhere I went, and we would dip it in. So with the Vikings, it would be purple. It was know, the same purple. one. Oh yeah, it was the same one. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. And we would just change the color. We would just change the color of it. Yeah, yeah. It I was, love that. Uh, it went with me everywhere, just like my Kenny Stabler shoulder pads. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, did, did you ever have to, I mean, I'm sure you did, right? Like make a couple of tackles along the way? because that I could- had a couple where I pushed a guy out of bounds. Deion Sanders got scared when he saw me and ran out of bounds. <laughs> uh, so that's about it. Okay, so you never had one of those those moments where you got to like deck a guy like Pat McAfee style and no, that wasn't really my thing. I mean, I, I got decked a few times. I got ear holed. I got blindsided and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I was a speed bump on a couple of occasions, <laughs> but yeah, that's about it. Yeah. I did a story about kickers tackling where with the special teams coach. And I asked Kai Forbeth about it. He didn't really like the question. He was just like, yeah, what, what are you making fun of me? I'm like, no, I really want to know what your thought process is when the guy's coming at you at 23 miles an hour. But um, well, mine, mine, you know, my nickname was the matador. So you can figure, <laughs> you can figure it out. <laughs> no, Olay, that, there's the goal line. Yeah. You know, everyone thinks of you as the great day and they don't know the matador. Uh, yeah. That's great. Uh, well, okay. So last one is uh, I mentioned, I grew up in Buffalo. Steve Tasker to me belongs in the hall of fame. I and agree. I, I just wonder what you think of, and even I see Christie's got a case too. Uh, the, the very limited number of special teamers who are in the hall of fame, but it, as mm-hmm. I mentioned, there are many kickers who own team records for the most points ever scored by a player from that franchise. And yeah. uh, you look through the great, somebody reminded me of Jason Hansen the other day when the Vikings yeah. are playing the lines. And I, I guess I just wonder about, blazing that trail yourself to get a gold jacket and what you think of the future. If there are going to be many more opportunities um, for kickers, punters, specialists, Bill Bates was a great one back in the day. Matthew Slater is a great one. Devin Hester. Devin Hester, of course. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think, can you, can you answer the question? Can you write the story of the NFL without mentioning this guy? And clearly you cannot write the story of the NFL and special teams without Steve Tasker. It's impossible. He was uh, he was a game changer blocking kicks, 
and in the return game, but but it's especially especially on coverage, but especially blocking kicks uh, and changing the momentum of a game. So Steve Tasker absolutely belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So does Devin Hester, um, and and there's others. You know, Gary Anderson belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You know, he's he had an unbelievable run, and he he's one of the greatest kickers in the history of the game. You cannot write the story of the NFL without mentioning Gary Anderson. Same with Jason Herod Hansen, maybe uh, Sebastian Janikowski and uh, and their punter. Um, Leckler, Shane Leckler, mm-hmm. another uh, possibility. Uh, Sean Landetta is another punter that should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You can't write the story of the NFL without understanding that Sean Landetta was a weapon for the Giants, Philadelphia, and wherever he played. So, you know, it's just that there's 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 a lot of traffic at the door. You know, and I, I found that out. I was the leading scorer in the history of the game. It took me five years to get in. Right. Yeah. So Adam Vinatieri, he's in. He should be first ballot. And then Justin Tucker hangs it up. He'll be there. Uh, I'm sure of it. And, uh, you know, if some of these young guys keep going, uh, who knows? So we – but it's going to be a slow process. Yeah. It, it, ha- it Unfortunately, Um but it, I hope it changes. You know, I hope we can get more guys in for sure. Yeah, me too. Uh, I think that um, while growing up watching Marv Levy as a coach, he was one that really emphasized special teams. He was so, one of the first. Him and Dick Vermeil were the two first special teams coaches in the history of the game. Right. So I, I always sort of looked for that value of, uh, of those guys and, and Steve sure. Tasker, I, I love your comments on him. So, uh, well, we'll see if it happens. I, I think if the, N- the NFL would be smart to put a lot of guys in at once who've been deserving and have been waiting to sort of open it up. Um, they just did that. Yeah, I know. That's right. That's right. They did. And I feel like you need a couple of those because there's yeah. just been so many guys backlogged. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. more, this has been a super fun conversation and I love when I can walk away and feel like I learned a lot from my guests. Um, the great, well, good. <laughs> yeah, no, I did. I mean, I really did. I appreciate- um, I'm still going to get nervous up in the press box though, when it gets to the fourth quarter and I'll be shaking my fingers, typing my story. So, um, great day nation is your podcast and, yeah. uh, you, um, you, you probably got a decent Rolodex there of guys you can reach out to for your show. So. We, we've had a, to date, I think we're 57 episodes in uh, Tony Dungy gets released tomorrow. We just had Warren moon on and we just keep going over 35 pro football hall of famers. So far we've had Bill Murray on Charles Barkley and lots of just, you know, influencers and thought leaders. Tony Dungy was uh, riveting, really good conversation. Uh, about his leadership model and and what you know what he stands for and believes in and it's a it's an interesting listen if you uh, you know if you want to learn stuff that's for sure from a guy who did it at the highest level and did it the right way. Yeah, and the uh, Minnesota connection there as well with uh, right. with Tony Dungy. Right. So that's right. Uh, honored to have you on. Well, I'm at two Hall of Famers. I have Chris Carter and you. So the we'll we'll keep on uh, working through our list. But oh yeah. He, Great, great stuff. I'm really Thank glad you. we can do it. You're welcome here anytime. And uh, appreciate care, you. Man. Thanks a lot. All right, man. All the best. See you.